Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So we're going to continue uh, our series for this month uh, that is called There's Still Time. And uh, today's message that I'm going to be talking about is Call on His Name. So let's go ahead and jump into scripture, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says, then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd and a large crowd of blind beggar Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road, as was his custom. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. And many sternly rebuked him, telling him to keep still and be quiet. But he kept shouting out all the more, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, telling him, Take courage, get up. He is calling for you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, my master, Let me regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith and confident trust in my power has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began to follow Jesus on the road. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, Father God. I pray, Lord God, that this morning that you would just give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear, Father God. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would just allow us to to hear from your Holy Spirit this morning, Father God, what you would have for us. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so we we all have had times in our life, these occasions that we like to look back on and we think to ourselves, like, if I would have known that was the only opportunity to experience that, you know, I would have reveled in it a lot more. I would have tried to take more pictures or have more memories or whatever it is to, to be able to be in that moment for, for a longer amount of time. You know, and you may ask yourself, well, what does that have to do with today's teaching? And, you know, I'm not trying to, like, manipulate anyone or I'm not, I'm not trying to be, like, over, dr- overly dramatic. But there is going to be a time in each one of our lives where we have the opportunity to hear the gospel for the last time. And there will be a time in our lives where we will have the opportunity to make a choice about that for the last time. And that's just nature, right? I mean, we're in these mortal bodies and we like to think that we're going to go on and live forever and that we'll continue to have opportunity after opportunity to experience things in life. But the reality is, is that nature does eventually take its course. You know, in Hebrews chapter three, there's a command there. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I think that's so important you know, and that, that's why when we read through the Bible and we're looking at the presentation of the gospel, it's always in the present tense. And the promise is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to belong to a certain group of people. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to be from a certain place. It says all that call on his name, any person who calls on his name shall be saved. Amen. Amen. And so here we have the story 
of this individual who seizes on his one opportunity to call out to Jesus in this time of need. We have this man, blind Bartimaeus, and he sees that in his life that this is probably the only chance that he'll ever have to be able to call out on the name of Jesus. And he seizes that. And what Mark has recorded here in this gospel, it's the last miracle that Jesus performed before before he went and gave his life. And the man, he was a blind man. His name was Bartimaeus. And as we read through this story and as we think about it and as we talk about it this morning, you know, we might be tempted to think that he was the only blind person in the story, but the fact is that he's not. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So there, so as we go through this, there is more than one blind man in this story. So For you to understand what I'm talking about, we got to go back a few chapters in the book of Mark, and we're going to go back to chapter 8, to the story where Jesus is feeding the 4,000. And just for time's sake, as I go through these scriptures, I'm not going to have time to read through the whole thing, because we'll we'll be here until 2, and I I know y'all don't want to do that. So (laughs) So I'm just going to kind of uh, give you you the, the footnotes here, all right? So... Here's Jesus. He, he calls all these people. They're at, they're at the seaside. There's 4,000 people here. They're here for, to hear him speak. And the disciples come to Jesus and like, hey, we don't have enough food to feed all these people. And they're getting hungry. And so if you're familiar with the story, they find a few loaves of bread and they find a few fish and they bring it to Jesus and Jesus blesses it. And this miraculous thing happens. The bread begins to multiply. The fish begins to multiply. And not only is there enough food to feed 4,000 people, there's literally seven giant baskets of food left over after 4,000 people have already eaten, right? And here are the disciples. They have a front row seat to this amazing miracle and they see this amazing miracle and they're with Jesus. They're in the moment. They see that they didn't have food. They see they brought him just a few pieces and he prays over it and it begins to multiply. And man, it's just like, wow, look at, look at who we're with. This guy really must be God, right? Shortly after that, the Pharisees, they came out. And, I always, and every time I've read this, I always thought this was so funny. So I don't, if you're not familiar with who the Pharisees are, they were like the religious people of the time. They were, they were biblical scholars. They were just religious people. They, they, were, they were faithful to the law. They went to the temple. Like they knew the word, of, they, the word back and forth. And they were there too. They were there and they seen what happened. They see all these people get fed. And in that scripture, it says that the Pharisees, they begin to hassle Jesus and they began to demand a sign. Well, I'm like, I don't know about you, but I don't know what other sign you would need. I mean, you just see him literally feed 4,000 people plus, because when it talks about 4,000 people, that wasn't including the, the men and, I mean, the women and their, uh, and their children. And also there was actually more than that. But, but anyways, regardless, like, I don't know what else you could need. And so it says that the Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign. It says that Jesus grew tired of them. And so they boarded their boat and they sailed away. And when they boarded the ship, the disciples realized that they had forgotten to bring food for them. Like they had only brought one loaf of bread for, for you know, all the disciples and Jesus and whoever else was with them on the boat. And so that's not a lot of food, right? And so while they're sitting there thinking about this literal loaf of bread, Jesus begins to talk to them. And he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. 
And the disciples are like, hmm, I wonder what that means. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't really know what Jesus was talking about, leaven, like yeast in the Bible, and, and it was used as a metaphor for being puffed up on tradition, for being puffed up on the law and all, and all of these things. Thank you. And, uh, and so, and so it was a metaphor, right? Jesus wasn't literally talking about bread. He wasn't literally talking about leaven. He was like, I think at this point, my disciples that are with me, they should have been with me long enough to know that I like to talk in metaphors that I like to, you know, give, give these scenarios to represent facts. And then it says that the disciples begin to debate about what Jesus meant about the leaven, and the best that they could come up with was that Jesus was talking about that they had not brought bread with them. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what the scripture says. It says that they began to talk amongst themselves and say, man, Jesus must be upset because we forgot to bring some of that bread from them seven baskets that we left behind. And so like they're totally blind to what Jesus is actually saying to them in that moment because Jesus is about the father's business and he knows that the Pharisees were trying to bring this trap and trying to poison the water and and the disciples are completely blind to that. They think he's literally talking about bread. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, it says, Jesus, aware of this discussion, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Though you have eyes, do you not see? And although you have ears, do you not hear and listen to what I said? All right, so that's scenario one. I'm gonna go through a different couple of scenarios here as we go through the scripture, okay? So let's skip forward a few verses. And we have this story of Jesus asking the disciples about who he is, who people think he is, and they're having this interaction. And, and during this interaction, there is this wonderful moment of revelation from Peter, right? So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them, he's asking them, so who do people say I am? And they're like, well, you know, we've heard people say that you're Elijah. We've heard people say that you're Moses. And, you know, they're just kind of going through this. And Jesus asked them, well, who do you say I am? And Peter has this beautiful moment of revelation. And he says, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And like, even Jesus was like, so taken aback by this moment. He's like, don't tell anybody yet about this revelation that you've had. Like it was a true moment of revelation. Peter like understood for a moment who Christ really was, that he wasn't just this guy they were following, that he truly was the Christ and that he was the Messiah. And then right after that, Jesus begins to very plainly talk to them about what's about to happen here, here in just a few days, when the, when the Passover takes place, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he tells them that he's going to be put on trial, and that he's going to suffer, and that he's going to be rejected by the people of the church, that he's going to be rejected by, by the Jewish people, and not only that, but he's going to be put to death, and then he's going to raise again three days later. It says here in Mark 8, 32 through 33, that he was stating the matter plainly, not holding anything back. And then Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. So think about this for a second, okay? Here's Peter. They're having this wonderful discussion. Jesus is asking them, like, who do people say I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter's like, oh, well, you're God. You know, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. I know, I know who you are. And so 
he has this revelation of who Jesus is. And then Jesus begins to tell him like, hey, these are the things that are about to happen to me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And then Peter is like, hey, come here. Like, I know you're God and all, but you got to stop talking like this. <laughs> like he literally reprimands Jesus. So like one moment he has this beautiful revelation of who God is. And then this next moment he's like, I know you're God. Like you kind of showed me that in the spirit, but like you really need to chill on the whole death thing. You know, like it's kind of bringing us down, you know, it's kind of a bummer. And it says that being turned around with his back to Peter and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not set on God's will or his values and purposes, but on what pleases man. So here we have another scenario where Jesus is trying to reveal who he is, what his purpose is, what the disciples' purpose is, and they're still not seeing it. Even after this moment of beautiful revelation that Peter had, Jesus still has to rebuke him and tell him, get behind me, Satan. Like, you're, you still don't understand. You still can't see what God's will is, what his values are, and what his purposes are. You're still stuck on this, this carnal mindset. All right, so I know I'm covering a lot of scripture here, but stick with me. I'm getting to a point, I promise. All right, so in Mark 9, 38, we have another situation here, okay? And this time it's John speaking. So right, so right before this in, the, in, the, in chapter nine of Mark, we have Jesus go up on the mountain and he gets transfigured into like this glowing figure and Peter's with him and he, he sees Moses and he sees Elijah and then this cloud comes over and they literally hear the voice of God and like it's just this magnificent moment, right? They're up on the mountain, they're literally meeting God, they're hearing God, they're having this moment. Well, the rest of the disciples were down at the bottom of the mountain waiting for Jesus to come back. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but if you're, if you're a parent in, in here, you're going to, you, you know, that when you have to like go to the other room to do something important, like take a 10 minute phone call or send some emails or something, and you leave your kids in the other room by themselves unattended, bad things happen, don't they? <laughs> you know, especially if like gets quiet in the other room, you're like, oh man, something not good is happening right now. And so that's basically what happened. Like Jesus left most of the disciples down at the bottom of the mountain when when he went up to have this moment with God. And so when he gets back down, John comes up to him and begins to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, while you were up on the mountain, we came across this dude and he was casting out demons in your name. And we went over there and told him to stop. <laughs> we told him, stop casting out demons in Jesus' name because you're not with us. You're not one of the disciples. And you know, like you can't be doing that. And in that moment, Jesus was like, what, what are you guys doing down here? Like, I, I just went to talk to my dad for, <laughs> for 10 minutes and you're in here, like getting on to people. Like these people are literally doing the right thing, right? They're like, they're using Jesus. And he tells them, if they are casting out demons in my name now and they're, and they're doing things in my name now, then they're not gonna talk wicked things about me later. He said, if these people are for me, then that means they're not against me. So why would you stop them from doing doing what God has called them to do. Amen? Amen. All right. So one more scenario here. We move forward into Mark chapter 10. And this is a story where Jesus is sitting there and all these people start gathering around and they're bringing their children with them. And they want to bring their children to Jesus so that Jesus can lay hands on them, pray for them, bless them, have this moment with them and impart into their lives 
And people start coming with their kids and the disciples are like, hey, what are y'all doing? Get away. Like, don't bring your kids to Jesus. He doesn't have time for that. He don't have time to, for your little snotty little brat. You know what I mean? Like, like get away. And the word says, the word says that, in that in that moment, that Jesus became indignant. That's what the word says. He became indignant. That means he was mad and he was annoyed with them, right? So like they're literally turning away children at this point. And so I can imagine Jesus is like, man, I've been like trying to impart to you over and over again, like what our purpose is, what your purpose is, why I'm here. And now we're to the point where you're literally even turning away children. <laughs> and he tells them like the children are, are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom. You know, he's like, don't forbid them to come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to these children. When I was reading, when I was reading through this passage of scripture, who in here has ever heard the, word, uh, the term gentle parenting? Anybody? You know, and that, that's something like, honestly, I've tried, to, I've tried to practice in my life, right? You know, I don't, I don't like to yell at my kids. I, I try to have conversations with them and talk through things. And uh, I'm not always successful <laughs> because, you know, kids can be stubborn. Kids can have their own mind about things. And, you know, I was the other day I was on TikTok and I saw this TikTok and this mom, she has two potholders in her hand and she picks up this pot off of the stove and she goes to hand it to her daughter because she needs her daughter to carry it to the table or whatever. And the daughter puts her hands out underneath it like this. And the mom's like, hey, stop. The bottom is hot. Don't touch it. And the girl pulled her hands back and she was like, okay. And then she puts her hands out again, like underneath the pot. And the mom's like, don't touch the bottom of the pot. It's hot. It's going to burn you. And so the girl puts her hands out and then she reaches for it again. And the mom goes, don't touch the bottom of the pot. It's hot. She like loses it and like yells at her. Like, I don't understand how you're not understanding what I'm saying here. And then the girl finally grabs it by the sides and carries it to the table. And as I was reading through this, I was like, I wonder if that's how Jesus felt with his disciples, because he's telling him the same thing like over and over again. He's telling them, hey, let the people come to me. I want to pray for them. I want to bless them. And they're like, hey, get away from Jesus. He don't got time for you. Hey, oh, I think Jesus is actually talking about real bread. I mean, who, when, when does he ever use metaphors? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and so like, and then at this point, they're literally turning away children from Jesus. And it says that he became an indignant with them. Like that was like, he was just over it. So later in this chapter, Jesus reminds them again that their purpose, that their purposes and that their will is not like God's kingdom, that the things that we think of as humanity, that they don't line up with the things that God has called us to. And he reminds them that anyone among them who wants to be great, that they must first become a servant. That's totally backwards, right, from us. Like, if I want to become a great person, if I want to become a great leader, then I got to move people out of my way, right? I got to, like, get to the front of the pack. I got to be up front and lead them. But the Word of God says that if that's who you want to be, you actually have to become a servant. And even more than that, it says whoever wants to be first among them and the most important, they actually have to become a slave to all of these people. They have to become even lower than a servant because even a servant gets paid, right? Like being a servant is a paid job. But if you really truly wanna be first in the kingdom of God, if you truly wanna be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you actually have to become a slave to all of those around you. 
And this is what Jesus is reminding them. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the disciples were blind to the significance of it all. The disciples couldn't really see what Jesus was about. They really couldn't see what Jesus needed from them. So after all of that, just like me, I hope you come to the same conclusion that the blind man, Bartimaeus, in this story, that he's not the only blind one, right? Even though they're with Jesus and even though they're following him and they're doing what they think that they're supposed to be doing, they're still blind, even to the point to where Jesus asks them, are you blind? Like, can you not see what is going on here? And as we continue through this, I think we're going to see that matter of fact, that blind Bartimaeus, he may not, he may have been the least blind person in this whole story. All right. So here we are. We've made it back to the story of Bartimaeus. All right. Sorry. I know it took us a little, a minute to get there, but stick with me here. All right. So here we are, and we're back to the story of Bartimaeus, and Jesus has gone over and over again with his disciples about what their purpose is, about what his role is as the Messiah, and, and they should all be on common ground right now, right? So here we are. Bartimaeus is calling out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's sitting on the side of the road, as was his custom, and he begins to call out, and the very first thing that happens is the group of people that were with Jesus, right after all of this, you know, all, these, all this time they spent with Jesus about learning who they are and what they're, what they're supposed to do and what their purpose is, the very first thing they do when they see this blind man calling out to Jesus and asking him for mercy, they're like, shut up, man. Jesus don't have time for you. <laughs> Like how, I mean, like if you really think about how ridiculous that is, like, I mean, like if you're reading through the book of Mark, Jesus is like drilling it in over and over and over again. And literally the next time they come across somebody who needs Jesus, their first reaction is to stern. It says, the word says that they sternly rebuked him. Like they're telling him, Hey, shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Stop trying to bother Jesus. We're, we're on our way. We're on a mission, Right. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how well is the be a slave to all men working at this point? Or if you want to be first and you have to be a slave, if you want to be first, you have to be a servant. It's not really working out too well at this point. You see, the Passover was quickly approaching and Jesus and the disciples, they were on a mission, right? They were on their, they were on their way to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And then Jesus knew that after the Passover that it was, it was time, right? He was gonna make the ultimate sacrifice. He was gonna lay down his life. So uh, I've got time. Uh, I'm gonna go off note, just like I did this in the first one too, but I just, I still feel like I need to share this. So I was raised in church, right? Like literally, like my, my parents got saved when, when my mom was pregnant with me. And then so like from like the first two weeks of my life or whatever it is that my mom brought me to church until now, 41, like I've always been in church. And like, I knew about church, like whenever I was a little kid, I was in this thing called Bible quizzing. It was kind of like a knowledge bowl. I was like seven or eight years old. And like, I literally 
uh, memorize the whole book of Acts from beginning to end. Like when I was eight years old, you could literally ask me, hey, quote uh, Acts 15 too. I can't do it now. But back then I could, I could literally quote that scripture just randomly. Like that's how intense it was. I studied like three or four hours a day. We went to all these competitions. Like, so I knew the word of God. Like I knew the gospel. I knew about who Jesus was. I knew about who the disciples were. I knew about the miracles that they had performed. And I was very hungry for God. And when I was about 13-ish, I was at this service, and they were, we had an altar call, and we had this, we had this uh, evangelist there, and he said something that, that altered my life for many years in a bad way. <laughs> he, we were at the altar call, and everyone was praying, and he, said, and he said over the microphone, if you can't physically feel the presence of God right now, then you're probably not going to heaven. You know, and as an adult, I can look back at that and be like, hey, that's ridiculous. Like, show me the scripture that says that. Or I have some kind of retort as an adult. But as a kid, as somebody who, even though I was studying the word and knowing I was still a kid, I was still young, I was still impressionable. And like, I trusted my pastor, right? I knew that if my pastor let this guy get up and preach that he trusted him. So by proxy, I should. And so like, it just totally wrecked me. Like, like, cause I didn't physically feel the presence of God in that moment. And so for years after that, I felt completely unworthy of God. Anytime I was in a situation where like, I didn't feel the presence of God, cause I didn't truly understand what it means to have faith, right? Because if we can physically feel God all the time, we don't need faith, right? Because we can feel him. It's in those moments where we do have to use our faith, where we don't feel God's presence, or we don't feel whatever's going on in the moment. And, but we know through our faith that he's still there, that he's still working. Amen. But people who are young in the Lord whether they're actually young as a teenager or they haven't been saved very long, or maybe they don't even know the word, the church can be detrimental to their walk in Christ. And so I don't know who needs to hear that, but that's, that was my little rabbit trail for today, man. <laughs> so, so we're back to the group, right? They were consumed with being with Jesus, the disciples. They were the group. They were the leaders and they were on an important mission. And so they make it, they're leaving Jericho and here's this blind man calling out to Jesus and they know like, we can't stop. We got to go. We got to keep going. We got to make it to Jerusalem by Passover. And so they understood everything, right? And they hear Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tell this guy, shut up. They're busy, and Jesus is too important for what this guy has to say. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for that. We have to be somewhere. We have somewhere to go. This is important. Shut up. Stop calling out to Jesus. You know, you can be a disciple of Jesus and be a barrier between him and the world. Can the church be a barrier to people who are crying out to meet Jesus? Yes, we can. We can be blind like the disciples. We can be so caught up in the program. We can be so caught up in the goal of what we're trying to accomplish for Jesus that we miss the whole point of what he has actually called us to be, what he has actually called us to do.
You know, we can have the, we can have the mindset of, you know, I don't want the inconvenience of inviting someone to church or sharing the gospel with them because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, right? If I invite this person to church and they show up, well, you know what? I'm probably gonna have to sit with them. I have to meet with them. I have to talk with them, you know, and I sit in this seat and my friends, they sit next to me. And so this guy shows up, I'm gonna have to ask my friends to move over so to make room for this person, you know, and I can't do that. That would be embarrassing, you know, and then I got to sit with them. And then after service, I probably even have to go to lunch with them now. You know, and God forbid they get saved, I might actually have to disciple this person. You know, what an inconvenience that would be. You know, I know we're laughing, but the sad truth is that a lot of people act that way. A lot of us, me, I'm preaching to me right now too. I have to make the same decision to follow Christ every day too. I have to make the same decision not to be blind to what he's calling me to do also. You know, we have the attitude of let them hear the gospel somewhere else because it's inconvenient getting involved with people. Or we can have the attitude of, I want to get involved with a good candidate. You know, earlier in this chapter, there's the young rich ruler who comes and all the disciples, they're all about this dude. I mean, he's got money. He's got influence. Like they know who this dude is. They're all about it. And when he, this is the one time where Jesus actually turns someone away because their young rich ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus knows his heart. And he tells him, sell everything you have and give everything up and follow me. And the young rich ruler's like, I can't do that. It's too, that's too much to ask. And Jesus let him walk away. And you can't tell me the disciples were like, come on, you know who that guy is? <laughs> you know how much influence this guy has? And we act the same way, right? When we're out in the world, when we're out in the workplace, when we're with our family members, we don't got time for these low down beggars. But maybe if they're influential, maybe if they play guitar good, maybe if they sing, maybe if they're talented, oh yeah, well then they can actually do something for the kingdom of God. So I've got time for them, but I don't have time for this person who can't do nothing for the kingdom of God. There's, one, there's more than one blind person here in this story. Thank you, Lord. So Bartimaeus was sitting there begging like he did every day. The word says, as it was his custom, and he's calling out to people for help. And he's asking for alms. He's asking, that's the only way he can eat. That's the only way he can get his livelihood is through the charity of other people. And so you would think like, as he's sitting here, listening day by day from people going by, and I'm sure he went to the temple at times. And so, so all, all he had time to do was listen, right? So one day he hears that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And something really interesting took place. You see, he called out to Jesus in a way that throughout the whole book of Mark, we haven't heard anyone call out to Jesus. Something very unique happened. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that may seem really peculiar, but he knew something that other people didn't know, or he got the significance of it. He got the revelation of it. See, the significance of that in their culture was that it was a callback to the prophet Isaiah. You see, the prophet Isaiah had already prophesied about the Messiah. He prophesied, number one, that the, that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David, from the line of King David. 
But there was something else he prophesied. He prophesied that the, that the Messiah would give sight to the blind and set the captives free. So this blind man who's sitting on the side of the road, he hears who Jesus is. He hears where Jesus comes from and he connects the dots and he says, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, I know you're the Messiah, have mercy on me. And what he was saying is, I know who the Messiah is. I know where the Messiah comes from. I know why he's coming. It literally says that he's coming to heal the blind and to set the captives free. So this man had this revelation of who Jesus was. Thank you, Lord. Somehow or another, he figured out who Jesus was. And not only did he know who he was, he had the faith that he could and would heal him and set him free. So it goes on and says, so as he called out, many rebuked him and he did not shy back. He didn't say, okay, well, you know, I'm just the blind beggar. Jesus doesn't have time for me. I'm just going to be quiet because his people are telling me he doesn't have time for me. His people are telling me to shut up. No, it says that he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Jesus can't stop. He's important. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He continued to call out in faith. He continued to call out in fervor. And in verse 49, there's two beautiful, grace-filled words. It says, Jesus stopped. And the reason why those two words are so significant is because we have to understand what Jesus was about. Even though the disciples were blind to about, about what was going about to happen, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He was on his way to save the world. He was on his way to make the ultimate sacrifice to save everyone, to shed his blood for everyone, for you, for me, for people, for, for all time. But Jesus knew what God had called him to do. You see, our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus is a one-on-one -on -one thing. It's, it's good to have this global mindset. It's good to think about spreading the gospel across the whole world. It's good to think about those things and to have missionaries and all this kind of stuff. But we can't lose sight of what Jesus came to do. He came to save you. He came to save me. He came to save blind Bartimaeus. And so even though Jesus knew where he was going, he knew what he was about, he knew what he had to accomplish, he said, I'm stopping because I hear someone calling my name. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and I'm sure all the people with him were wondering, like, what the heck are we doing stopping? Like, we have, we have places to be. We have somewhere to go. And something really ironic here happens. It's not funny, ha, ha, but it is funny. His disciples, his people that are following with him, they can obviously hear this guy calling out because they're telling him to shut up, be quiet, leave Jesus alone. And when Jesus stops, Jesus doesn't say, hey, Bartimaeus, come over here. I hear you calling me. Jesus looks to the people who are with him and Jesus can hear what they're doing. 
I mean, he knows what they're about. He's been, how many times has he had to rebuke them up to this point? How many times has he had to tell them up to this point, like, you're missing the point. You don't understand what's going on here. And so he tells those people with him, hey, go call them to me. So think about how awkward that would be. You know, and we like to think like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have been one of those people. You know, I would have been over there being a cheerleader for Bartimaeus. But that, we know that's not the truth. We know we would have been right there with those people that were following Jesus, telling him to shut up because we've probably been that person in our life already. If you've been saved for any amount of time, I promise you, you're just as guilty. I know I am. I know that's something that I'm not just preaching to y'all right now. This is bringing conviction in my life too. Amen. It says he was sitting there begging and he calls out to Jesus. And then he hears from the people that were just telling him to be quiet. They were just telling him to shut up. They were just telling him they had to eat crow and be like, hey, uh, I know I just told you to be quiet and leave Jesus alone, but uh, he's actually calling you over. <laughs> and they even, try to, they even try to like snazz it up there a little bit. You know, if you, if you uh, let me jump back to it real quick because I, I don't want to misquote what they said. It says that, they tell him, take courage and get up. He's calling for you. You know, they totally try to flip the script. They're like, I know we were just telling you to shut up, but um, actually take courage and get up. Like, come on, hurry up, get over here. Like, come on, come on, Jesus wants you. They're trying to take the attention off of what they were just doing, that they were wrong. It says Bartimaeus jumped up. Let's look at verse 50. It says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I'm almost done here. Now that may seem like a strange question to us, right? Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows what's going on in his life. You know, his name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. That's why it mentions his father in the scripture because his father was also a blind beggar. So it's like, this is like a generational thing. Like people know who he is, right? People know what he's about. And when he, does, when he jumps up and he comes to Jesus, Jesus asks him, like, what do you want me to do for you? And that may seem like a weird question, because he was clearly blind, he clearly had a need. But what Jesus was doing is he was giving this man an opportunity to exercise his faith. Because he not only knew what he needed, but he knew that Jesus was the man that could accomplish it for him. He had a true revelation of who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. And not only that Jesus could do it, but that he would do it when he called on his name. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the word says that he was immediately healed because of his faith and that he began following Jesus down the road. You know, I don't know which person you are this morning. I don't know if you're somebody who has heard the gospel before and you just weren't ready yet, or if this is the first time, or if you're that person like me, like you went to church and you did all the right things, you said all the right things. You know, I didn't actually meet Jesus myself, have a true experience with Christ, that true life-changing experience until I was in my early 20s. 
You know, during those formative years, during my teenage years, after that, I had that moment, I'd never felt like I was worthy of Christ. But I continued to go to church because that was the right thing to do. I taught Sunday school. I was in the worship band. I did all the things, but I was blind to who Jesus really was. And I know I'm not the only person who's lived that. I know I'm not the only person who's gone through that. I know there's so many people who grew up in church and you go to church because your parents do, because your friends do. That's what you've always done. But you've been blind to who Jesus really is and what he's really calling you to. But I got good news for you. The word says that all who call on his name shall be saved. It doesn't matter if you've been lost in sin your whole life, if you've been going to church your whole life, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter who you are, it says all who call on his name. And I tell you what, there's not gonna be a person in this church this morning who's gonna get in your way. Because we're gonna be the second half of that. We're gonna be the people right now that are telling you, hey, he's calling you. You know, we can't come to Jesus unless he calls us first. The word says that, Jesus said that, no one can come into the Father except through me. We can't know that we're blind. We can't know that we're a captive until it's revealed to us that we're blind. And so Jesus is telling you right now this morning, if you're lost in your sin, if you're, if you're struggling with your faith, whatever it is that you're blind, what do you want me to do for you? You now know what it is. You know, and Jesus is asking, telling you, come to me. What can I do for you? And that's the condition of our salvation, right? We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn this relationship with Christ, but that condition is, is that we have to step out in faith and say, I know who you are. I know what you've come to do. And I know that you'll do it for me. I know that you're, I know that you're the Messiah. I know that you're son of David. I know that you're here to heal the blind and to set the captives free. And he's asking you this morning, what are you gonna do? What do you need from me? If I can have the prayer partners come up. You know, I'm gonna ask for some boldness this morning. I don't know a lot of times when, when we do an altar call or whatever it is, you know, we ask people to raise their hands or, you know, whatever it is, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold this morning. If that's you this morning, if that's you, if, if you need whether, and it may not just be salvation, it may just be you need to be set free like the disciples. You need more revelation in your life because you know that you don't have this full revelation of who Christ is. Even though you may have been following from years, you want more revelation in your life so you don't be, be a barrier to those that God has called you to minister to. It says that when he called Bartimaeus, that he threw off his coat and he jumped up and he went to him. There was no hesitation. Bartimaeus knew what he needed and he ran to the savior. And I'm not asking you to literally run up here, but if that's you this morning, as we begin to pray, I want you to have boldness 
to come up with our prayer partners and let them know like, look, I need to be saved. I'm not saved or I want more revelation in my life. I don't want to be blind to what God is calling me to do. I wanna be a true disciple of Christ. I want to be about the Father's business like Jesus was and not be a hindrance to those around me. I want you to come forward. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Lord God, and I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this revelation in my life. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that I will not get caught up in the carnal things. I will not get caught up in the way that I think things should go, but that I can truly see that the blinders will be lifted off of me, Father God, that I can truly see what you are about, what your will is, what you have called me to do. I pray, Lord God, that I will not be a barrier, Father God, between those that need you, Father God. But I will be the one that tells them, hey, he's calling you. That Jesus stopped and he's calling you. He heard your cry. And he wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to meet your need. That he wants to heal you and set you free. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that that would be the prayer for every person in this room, Lord. Father God, that we will no longer allow our flesh and our our mindsets, Father God, to get in the way of what you have called us to be, what you have called us to do, that we will see what you are about. And that if you, Jesus, are the one who had time to stop for that one person, Father God, how much more should we be obedient to stop and share the same grace and share the same love and mercy? that you showed us when we were lost in sin, Father. I just thank you for that in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would open up doors of opportunity this week for us to be ministers, Father God, and that we will be bold, that we will not shy back, and that we will not turn people away, but we will answer that call and let them know that, yes, you are calling them. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like to know more about our family, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HTC Bay City or find us on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.